Hello, and welcome to Overinvested, a podcast about pop culture obsessions. I'm Morgan, and I'm here with my co-host, Gavia. Hello. Uh, today, we are going to be talking about truly my greatest pop culture obsession of all, slash obsession in general in life, the Academy Awards, which, in case you have been living under a rock, are taking place this Sunday night at 8.30 on ABC. We figured that we would basically spend this episode giving some context for how the Oscars work, going through all of the categories except the short films, which uh, we don't know anything about, so sorry if that's your passion, and then taking some questions from our listenership. So to start off, this has obviously been a kind of eventful year for movies. I think it's been a really good year. Last year, I did not feel that way at all. I have still not seen a number of films that are up for various things because I have been buried in library books for the last two and weeks. Morgan was prioritizing things like Best Makeup Design nominee Suicide Squad. Yes, and also because UK film distribution is broken. But we have both seen La La Land, Manchester by the Sea, and Moonlight, which are the three kind of big films nominated for stuff this year. So we're mostly covering our bases. I think before we get into anything, I should explain how the voting works, because it's actually kind of complicated and most people do not understand. And I think it's kind of eliminating her understanding why certain things win. So to vote for nominations, people who are members of that branch vote for particular award of their profession. So cinematographers vote for cinematography, actors vote for acting, and then everyone votes for best picture. Then when you get into the actual awards, everyone votes for everything. But it's done by preferential balloting, which is a relatively new innovation. And the way that works is that everyone ranks everything. I think this is true of all categories, not just best picture, but I'm not 100% sure, but it's definitely true of best picture. And everyone puts their best picture nominees, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, whatever. And then the vote goes to whatever has the most, <laughs> whatever the highest thing on their list is that has the most votes is what that ballot goes to. So if they put La La Land number one, it goes to La La Land. If they put Hell or High Water number one, and Hell or High Water only gets 400 votes because Hell or High Water is not going to win Best Picture at the Oscars this year, but they put La La Land number two, then that ballot also goes to La La Land. So it's hugely beneficial to be a movie that's popular, broadly speaking, with a ton of people. Whereas if you're a divisive film, it's much harder to win. So last year, it was a big surprise when Spotlight wound up winning over The Revenant or The Big Short, although it was kind of a three-way race. Um, but a lot of people love The Revenant and a lot of people like us uh, or me, because you never actually saw that, right? I you never saw it. The Revenant, no. Yeah. And I never um, will. <laughs> I hated it. A lot of people hated it. And so that can be kind of difficult. So as we go through these categories, La La Land is going to win a lot of things. Yeah. Because this is voted on by people who live in Hollywood, work in Hollywood, and love Hollywood. Yeah, most years the Hollywood Reporter does this questionnaire interview thing where they speak to anonymous Oscar ballot people about why they selected certain films and it's very illuminating because it kind of points out to you first of all who's doing that 
Did you see the one I posted the other day that was on um, Film School Rejects, I think? No. Because it was with, like, a normal person who votes for the Oscars and not an insane person that the Hollywood Reporter (laughs) finds. Because the Hollywood Reporter always finds someone who's like, well, I've not seen any of the animated movies, so I'm picking the one that my nephew likes. And also, I'm not voting for 12 Years a Slave because we already had a black movie last year. And you're like, holy shit. They deliberately (laughs) find, like, there, there are a lot of problems with the Academy Awards. You know, duh. But those ballots actually make me insane because they deliberately find the craziest people (laughs) and then make it sound like that's what everyone is like. And I think, broadly speaking, the biases are a lot more systemic and unconscious than people being like, yeah, I really don't like black movies, so uh, I didn't vote for Broadway. Like, that's not what... And I mean, it's it's easier to track via just the basic statistics because something that happened last year is the Academy did this big push to sort of diversify who was in the Academy and could vote because it's still something like 80% white people and 99% people over the age of 110, you know. So last year they were like, let's just bring in John Boyega and some other people, you know, they brought in like people like Lexi Alexander. So it's, uh, they're moving on a little bit. They're making an effort. Uh. Yes. And the president, uh, Cheryl Boone Isaacs, who's been the president for several years now, I think, is a black woman and clearly has been making a huge effort with this. I think even before the big sort of scandal the past couple of years, but that gave her, my impression was that she'd been trying anyway and then had firepower to be like, all right, it's time now for me to do this. But again, given the way that the voting works, sort of middle brow things have it easier to win because if a lot of people like you, then- The King's Speech. Right. Well, <laughs> Hugo. <laughs> Hugo didn't actually win anything, I don't think. Because conversely, because so many things get nominated now, if you have a smaller pocket of incredibly intense support, it's easier to get a Best Picture nomination. But then actually winning, it's like, good luck. So like Hell or High Water, which is a movie I think is really good, and I'm totally happy to see it um, nominated, would never have gotten nominated if there were only five. Right. But because the field has expanded things could sneak in. So there's a lot going on. But why don't we start going through some of the categories? We're going to go through these relatively quickly. But if you are doing an Oscar pool or an Oscar ballot, this will hopefully be helpful to you. And it will also allow us to talk about some of the movies that have been nominated, including some things that didn't get a ton of nominations, but did get nominated in some of these technical categories. We're just going to sort of go down the list, starting with cinematography, which is my favorite technical category. And a very good category this year. Um, the nominees were Arrival, La La Land, Lion, Moonlight, and Silence. All of which I thought were great, except for La La Land, which is going to win. So... I mean, everyone has seen the YouTube video of Damien Chazelle, the director, tapping the cinematographer on the shoulder to make sure that he pans around really fast. And seeing as none of us know how cinematography works, that looks very impressive because he is moving very fast. So uh, (laughs) that's going to get some pretty big prizes, you know, for everything. I've actually seen all of the movies in this category apart from Lion. And as someone who doesn't know as much about cinematography as Morgan, I would say the cinematography in all of those is really amazing. (laughs) Although... Moonlight and Silence are probably my faves. Yeah, I think Arrival is really beautifully shot also. Bradford Young, who did that, is one of yeah. definitely the most talented. He's like 40 now, but for a cinematographer, that's still sort of like young, up-and-coming up Bradford Young. Um, he did Selma as well. He did, yeah. um, uh, shoot, what's that Oscar Isaac one? The one with the cat? No. <laughs> 
<laughs> you can't edit that out. That's too good. Um, a Most Violent Year, which was the same year as Selma, and actually I think had better cinematography. Really beautiful. He did. I mean, Arrival up. is gorgeous. Yeah. And also, um, I feel like that's something that didn't even get as much coverage as it should have done because people were really talking about kind of concepts behind Arrival. I mean, also the visual effects are so low key. People sort of ignored the fact that. There's obviously, like, the whole fucking thing is CGI, right? But they're like, well, you know, it's this intimate thing. And I'm like, it looks better than Doctor Strange. Please nominate this and not Doctor Strange. Yeah. <laughs> I would vote for Moonlight in this category, though. I think the cinematography in that film is just, like, amazing. It's so, it's so good. Moonlight um, finally came out in the UK last week, and I got to see it, and, and my life was changed. <laughs> it's a just... Ugh. God, like, what to even say? It's going to be our whole podcast. It's just it's going to be... It's, it's very predictable. Anyone who listens to it is going to be like, yeah, you guys are just going to be, like, dying over moonlight and throwing rotten fruit at La La Land for an hour. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, La La Land is uh, going to win that. I believe it is also going to win costume design, where it is nominated alongside Allied, Fantastic Beasts, Where to Find Them, Florence Foster Jenkins, and Jackie. My one category where I can offer... <laughs> Yes, please, oh enlighten us. Oh my god. So, uh, I imagine if you're someone who follows me on social media, you've probably heard about me complaining this before, but in the Oscars at least, and also kind of in media coverage in general, there's a massive kind of unbalance in what type of costumes get recognition. So usually it's either historical dramas where there's like a really opulent costume. There was like a very long run where every year Kira Knightley's ball gown would just win the Oscar. <laughs> Um, but like that kind of movie, or sometimes musicals if there's a musical that year, or really kind of ostentatious fantasy films. So basically it's movies where someone who doesn't know anything about costume design can look at it and see that a lot of work went into it. And obviously all of these movies tend to be really skilled and beautiful, but it means that every other type of costume design completely gets ignored. So, you know, if you make a contemporary movie where there's a lot of really strong character-based costumes, it just gets shut out. And as with every year, <laughs> this year we have um, a fantasy movie, Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, which Colleen Atwood, I love her as a designer, but it was not, I mean, it was not her best work. It was like, fine, you know. Allied, which is a historical drama I've not seen. Florence Foster Jenkins, another historical drama. Jackie, which is definitely a fashion movie. And I really love the costumes in. And La La Land, which I'm pretty sure got nominated because people could see the bright colours. Like, yes, <laughs> basically just literally. like they're wearing bright colours. Yeah. <laughs> well, he's actually wearing a lot of tan. He wears yeah. lots of tan, bra lots of brown suits, which is not a colour that I would uh, recommend that Ryan wear again in the future. And she wears a thousand bright sundresses, a different one for every day, which is an interesting choice for a uh, struggling struggling actor i mean it's fine it's a musical but i was a bit like hmm okay yeah uh, i mean what? this is not this is not a great year in terms of films that actually got nominated in this category <laughs> yeah. um and i suspect la la land will win simply because people really like this movie and they are just going to go down the ballot and tick everything off people are not going to vote for fantastic beasts because there's been eight harry potter movies i think that jackie might have a chance yeah, if, if anything upsets it, that would definitely be the one to do it. I would be thrilled. But um, my prediction would be La La Land for that one. Um, film editing is one where I think it could lose, however, because 
the people editing no one understands what editing actually is except for editors like other people who work in film it's very difficult to see because the actual work comes in pruning stuff away and picking takes and unless you see all the material that doesn't get put in the movie you can't actually understand the work that went into it it's like one of my favorite stories about this was being in a talk with Ang Lee's editor, who I think won for Crashing Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And he said, no one understands this because it was great to win for that. But the hardest movie I ever edited was Sense Sensibility because I had all of this footage and it all hinged upon like characters looking at each other in rooms in this like very <laughs> delicate way. And if it doesn't all pan out, then the movie doesn't make any sense and it's not funny and the emotional beats don't work. But that movie and other movies of that type, like that's not, you're never going to notice that, right? The movies that tend to win here are like war movies or action movies recent in like recent years, because you can really see a lot of cutting and it's like, oh, they did Mad that. Max Fury Road win. Because I remember, yes. yeah, because when Fury Road came out, there was a lot of coverage of the editing because yes. they shot this insane quantity of footage for it. You know, they went out into the desert and basically shot for like months and it was heavily re-edited several times and um, the director, George Miller's wife, is the person who edited it and she hadn't done an action movie before and she basically just took this warehouse of tape and was like, I'm going to make something that makes sense out of this. So she made the film. And that was very distinctively edited in a way that most action movies are not because she hadn't done it before. Like, I could tell watching it that it was different. And that was a story that they could tell that actually made sense. You can say that. It was easy to market the concept of editing in that film. (laughs) Which is unusual, because normally it is this sort of abstract thing. We should say that um, Moonlight was edited by Nat Sanders and Joy McMillan, and Joy McMillan is the first black woman ever to be nominated in this category, which is very cool. Um, They're not going to win. But anyway, I think Hacksaw Ridge could definitely win this, because it's a war movie. If La La Land wins this, basically it's just going to win everything. Because I mean, editing's fine. But it's not ostentatious. But again, if they just go down the ballot and check everything off, it could get this here. But I would probably guess Hacksaw Ridge. We will see. The same goes for sound. I'll jump down to the S's just because um, that is also nominated for both of the sound categories. Um, I will briefly explain the difference between sound editing and sound mixing, which no one understands. So sound editing basically is the creation of sound effects for a movie, and sound mixing is balancing the different sound elements of the film together. So musicals tend to get nominated for sound mixing because you're incorporating all these different elements of the soundscape of the movie together to make them work. They don't usually get nominated for sound editing. So the fact that La La Land did get nominated there is a sign of how strong it is. Sound editing makes sense for something like Hacksaw Ridge, or in this case, uh, Sully, which also got nominated there. Another uh, Oscar podcast I was listening to gave the example of geese hitting the plane, which they had to (laughs) simulate the sound for, for that one. It's like, okay, that's great. (laughs) Um... This often goes to the same movie because even people in the industry don't understand that these are two different things. And often will go to something that just has a lot of noise. 
because <laughs> you notice the noise is happening. <laughs> right. So Christopher Nolan's movies, everyone always complains about the sound mixing because they're really, really loud and his like broom noises will be really overpowering. But like Inception one sound mixing and sound editing, I think certainly sound mixing, <laughs> even though everyone complained about it just because like people noticed there was sound in it. <laughs> so sure. So I think La La Land will probably win sound mixing just because like, sure. And that's fine. Um, and then sound editing will either also go to La La Land just because they don't understand the difference or that will go to Hacksaw Ridge because it's a war movie and war movies get lots of technical stuff because things blow up. It's very impressive. Uh, basically. Also, people have been sort of suggesting they might want to give that movie something because they like it, but also not give Mel Gibson anything. And so the sound, sure, just fine. But that's now a, a factoid that you can all share at parties, the difference between sound mixing and sound editing, which is a thing that I know why I don't. I couldn't say. Production design. Yes. Passengers. <laughs> Passengers. <laughs> We have done a whole podcast on passengers, which I highly recommend you listen to because... One of our finest. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those films where you can really dig into hating it, which is not generally a kind of positive psychological stance to have, but man, that movie sucked. And the idea of it being nominated for production design is blowing my fucking mind. After the Oscar nominees were announced, I kind of tweeted something along the lines of, I can't believe passengers got nominated because they basically just created like a cgi shopping mall and then someone else pointed out to me that actually it's not cgi and they built the mall it looks terrible obviously ugliness is not in itself a criticism because like ugliness can be a necessary part of the film's design but everything in that film was like a tonal mess like it was like is this supposed to be romantic am i meant to be scared it's just like they created this really weird modernist spaceship design that looks like a it looks like you know an airport ball and they clearly spent a fuck ton of money on it for no reason because it was like you could have just filmed this in a room or an existing mall yeah i mean the production design in that movie was i disagree i strongly disagree (laughs) we came out of that movie and we're like wow what bad production design which is pretty (laughs) impressive like you have to really fuck up so like okay yeah and then there's fantastic beasts where it was largely cgi backgrounds that's not necessarily a uh, no a problem though like no 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 but i mean no just in in terms of like um comparison because it's something where it's they're not like a building set so there's like a big contrast between like hail caesar where they're going for this kind of old-fashioned hollywood intentionally making it look like a set set design and fantastic beasts where it's like a kind of journey from someone drawing like fantasy sketches and then building something on a green screen yeah and then the last two are arrival and la la land um and arrival obviously is also a lot of cgi mostly cgi um because that would include the spaceship the aliens the writing that the aliens do and then also the physical stuff i would vote for that i think yeah i mean i'd go for i'd go for arrival or hail caesar yeah um either of which could win like this is one where if there might be an upset it could be one of those two i still think la la land will probably win but i, yeah, I just be- don't understand why you'd vote for la la land in this category 
because <laughs> I know did rebuild the Griffith, Griffiths Observatory apparently, which is pretty impressive. Oh, okay, right, that um, is pretty cool. Never mind, but, then. I will allow that. <laughs> yeah, but that is a case where you're recreating something as opposed to inventing something, which both Arrival and Hail Caesar did, and not to sort of denigrate the craft of of that, which is really impressive. But I would take the sort of innovation of making something up over just rebuilding something that already exists anytime. But it's going to be, if it wins, it, it will just be again, as I keep saying, just looking at the ballot and saying, <laughs> I really like this film. Check, 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 check. I mean, you know. I think, broadly speaking, people do definitely put thought into this, but we all, if we really like a movie, think that all the things about the movie tend to be good. Right. Like, I think basically everything about Manchester by the Sea and Moonlight is really good. I wouldn't necessarily vote for all those things and all of them, but like, wow, I think the production design of Manchester by the Sea is really amazing, which I mean, I really do think that. But like you you get sort of swayed by your overall opinion of things. And in this case, it's going to be a lot of that, which interestingly hasn't been happening as much recently. Like it used to be the case where a movie would just take a ton if it was going to win Best Picture. And recently, like Spotlight won three. Um, I think 12 Years a Slave won three or four. And this year is going to be like 10 plus for La La Land, which is kind of disappointing just because it's not as interesting. Um, it's, I think, much more fun. I think they sort of get split up. Um, let's do makeup and hairstyling, which, uh, A Man Called Uva, Star Trek Beyond, and Suicide Squad. <laughs> well, I've not seen A Man Called Uva, no. and I would not select Suicide Squad for anything aside from costumes. I would actually allow a costume nomination for Suicide Squad. Clearly it's going to be Star Trek Beyond. They made some aliens. That's what this category is for. If someone makes some aliens. I think it could be A Man Called Uva, because... My understanding is that it's a heartwarming tale about old people. And it's also nominated for foreign language film. So what's the makeup? It's old person makeup. Like, very involved old person makeup. Okay. And also, like, no one's going to want to watch Star Trek Beyond. It definitely will be one of those two. It's not going to be fucking Suicide Squad, I can tell you that much. But I don't don't know. This this is a, a... really a nail biter. <laughs> I am gonna guess a man called Uva. My dad and his wife had watched this film and asked me if I'd seen it, and I was like, "No, I have heard of it. Have Why you seen it? it?" Surely they could have come up with better options than this, but uh, this is what we've been wound up with. So I'm going with a man called Uva. I am sticking my neck out there. We will see. When my dad is like, oh, yeah, I saw this film. I thought it was really good. Then, you know, something's in the water, I feel like. Um, Original score, one of the best categories this year, I think. I've been meditating on this one. Yeah, Jackie, La La Land, Lion, Moonlight, Passengers. Passengers, once again, nonsense. Shut <laughs> up. Just absolute nonsense. I've not seen Lion, so I can't comment on that, but I've been really, I've it's been swithering over Jackie and Moonlight um, because the soundtrack for Jackie is so good and also the soundtrack for Moonlight is so good. But in the end, score. Moonlight, sorry, the score for Moonlight is like a masterpiece. So that is my pick. I don't know what will actually win, but in my imaginary Oscar ballot, I'm voting for Moonlight. 
Uh, I would go with Jackie, I think, although they're both incredible. But La La Land is a musical, so it's going to win the music original score category. Which is wrong. It's wrong. uh, Yes, definitely. (laughs) But uh, it's definitely also going to win. It is also going to win original song. Although this is all another one where it could go to Lin-Manuel Miranda. I can't believe you're not rooting for the Trolls song that Justin Timberlake has been marketing for a fucking year. (laughs) They were at Cannes with Trolls. Yeah. Like, oh, okay. I'm really upset about this category because I really wanted the kids from Sing Street to perform at the Oscars. And all the songs from Sing Street were better than all the songs from La La Land. And they also could have nominated No Dames from Hail Caesar. And they did neither of those oh things. Oh my god, I, no, oh, no Dames would have been so good. They chanted Tatum <sighs> danced on the stage at the Oscars in a sailor suit. And instead, we are getting two songs from La La Land and The Empty Chair from Jim, the Jim Foley something. <laughs> title has been cut off on my webpage, and I don't know what it is. So. I, I really feel like I got shafted. I mean, Channing Tatum is right there. He's right there. He's there. Also, the song's great. Yeah, and the song's so, great. <laughs> um, yeah, bummer. A real bummer. But City of Stars should definitely win this, unless it splits the vote with Audition. But I think, I don't think that's going to happen. Ugh! It's, it's all too depressing. I just don't like the movie. And the music's not even good. It's a musical. No, it's, first of all, the music is like so-so. But also it's a musical about jazz where the music is not jazz. I know. Literally the whole movie is about how much the director fucking loves jazz. And it's like, I'm not going to have any jazz in the soundtrack. Don't be ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, Homestretch. Foreign language film. I have seen one of these. I'm normally really good. But uh, again, this year, not. Yeah, I feel so. like a philistine because I have not seen any of these movies. Uh, I, have I seen... will see Tony Erdman. Yeah, Tony Erdman is great. Uh, it was kind of the favorite, but I think now The Salesman is going to win, both because of the whole political situation with Oscar Farhadi not being able to come into the country, and also because I finally saw Tony Erdman, and it's very weird, and I think that a lot of people will not actually sit through it. It's very slow and it's very long. And I think yeah, if you it's had three, BBA, it's a three hour long German comedy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a lot of like Oscar voters watch these things on DVDs because they get screeners. And I think if you had this on a DVD at home, it's a high likelihood. And you had like 50 other movies to watch that you just would not get through. That's yeah. what I was thinking about Manchester by the sea, because we went to see that at the London Film Festival and it was amazing and it blew my mind. But like the experience of sitting down with a screener is like very different and watching Manchester by the Sea in a position where you're able to pause and avoid the pain <laughs> is gonna be tricky. I uh, think the difference with that is, is that it's in English. It's, well yes. And it's not slow. No. Like, Tony Erdman is really slow. In a way I mean it is too long but the slowness is deliberate and it's doing something and it's, I didn't find it at all boring, but it's very, the pacing is really weird in a way that I've never experienced with a comedy before. And I found that really interesting, but it's, I am not surprised that it didn't, I don't think it's doing as well in America as they were hoping. And I'm not surprised because it's really European. And I think the salesman is more of a traditional kind of thriller type thing. 
Um, I mean, I've heard great things about it. That's not a directory comment at all. But I, from what I understand, people are just really responding to it because I think it's more accessible and it has the sort of political impetus behind it. So the combination of those two things are probably going to make it happen. And there are three other movies that I've never heard of. So they're probably, except A Man Called Uva, but they're probably also good. I apologize that I have not um, seen them. I also have only seen one of the documentary films nominated, which is not a movie. It was a TV show. I've only seen OJ, um, which is amazing, but not a movie. Yeah, I was really puzzled by that. It's literally like six to eight hours long, right? Yes. And um, there's been... I, I don't think this is going to win, even though it's won a bunch of the precursors, because I think there is going to be pushback about I mean it's not a fucking movie like it doesn't I mean I'm assuming they must have I mean they must legally they have to have had it like airing in a cinema for like two weeks they showed it at like an artsy movie theater in New York for like a week yeah like like, um, which is just I mean sure right Um, I mean I saw 13th which is very good you can watch it on Netflix very accessible I mean obviously it's about like a really horrific topic and it's really important but it's also like extremely watchable so I kind of see that being pretty likely I think I think I Am Not Your Negro could definitely win either, win too. That, I understand, is more kind of artistic. People seem to really, really love that. So I think it's going to be one of those two. I'm going to guess 13th just because people love Ava DuVernay, which is a takeaway from the film, which I've heard is great. I haven't had time to watch it, but people really love her, um, and that helps. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I want her to win another Oscar, so... <laughs> She's not won an Oscar. What is this another Oscar? She doesn't have an Oscar? No! Do you... <laughs> See, this is, this, is the, this is the erasure. This is the erasure of the Oscar memory in action, because it's like when a shit movie went into an Oscar, everyone just retroactively awards it to the person who ought to have got it. So this is the whole... This was what kicked off this whole... No, I remember now. Oscars, ...is that Selma got nominated for Best Picture and Best Song, and that was it. Yeah... This is her first nomination. So, you know, that's definitely not the, like, narrative driving this, but it would definitely be nice to see Ava DuVernay with an Oscar. But I have no opinion, really, on any of this, because I haven't seen them, except that I don't want OJ to win, even though I thought it was incredible and would highly recommend it, because it's not a fucking movie. So, like... I think if we can do this, then Hannibal can be aired in a cinema and be nominated. So, (laughs) re-release Hannibal! (laughs) Animated feature, Zootopia's going to win... Really? Yeah, the one that wins animated feature, unless it's something where everyone understands that it's like the most artistic movie of the century, it's the one that everyone saw with their kids, and Zootopia is the one that everyone saw with their kids. So that's going to win. Yes. Um, I loved Kubo and the Two, Two Strings, by the way. Very good film and very impressive uh, stop motion animation. I have been dying to see that, and I have not had the time. So I'm going to at some point. We only have a few left. I know this is taking a long time. Um, <laughs> they're also important. Uh, I'm going to do. Di- I feel like directing is the most important one, but we're going to do it quickly because Damien Chazelle is going to win, and there's really nothing else could happen. Well, he's such a nice man. It's nice to see such a nice man get a prize. Um, the other nominees are Denis Villeneuve for Arrival, Mel Gibson for Hacksaw Ridge. Another nice man. Uh, yep. Kenneth Lonergan by Manchester by the Sea and Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. Um, Obviously, I, Barry Jenkins or Kenneth Lonergan should be winning that, but you yeah. know, it's going to be Damien Chazelle, so yeah, fuck it. There's, there's nothing else to say. It's, 
there's no point in lingering on that. Um, much more interesting are the screenplay categories, which are legitimately competitive, and I'm not sure what will happen in them. And part of the reason for this is that Moonlight has been nominated in different categories, depending on the awards show. So what happened with Moonlight was that it's kind of based on an unproduced play by someone, or like he came up with the story, but then Barry Jenkins wrote the screenplay himself. Um, And so in some places it's been put in the original category and the Oscars, they ruled it adapted. Um, And then some awards shows only do one screenplay category just for screenplay period. So it won original screenplay at the Writers Guild, but it's nominated and adapted here. And then it won screenplay at the BAFTAs over, or no, Manchester won screenplay. I mean, this this just all been a mess, the whole thing. So no one really knows what is going on. I think that's going to probably win adapted screenplay, but Fences could win just because August Wilson is amazing. Arrival could potentially win because the story of that adaptation is really compelling and people seem really impressed by it um, from that short story. The other two nominated there are Hidden Figures and Lion, neither of which will happen. Um, And then original screenplay is Hell or High Water, La La Land, The Lobster, Manchester by the Sea, and 20th Century Women. I've not seen 20th Century Women yet. I'm doing it in a few days, but that's a really incredible category. I Um, love that the lobster is nominated. I I love the the screenwriters. They nominate the weirdest shit. It's great. It's a movie where uh, (laughs) if you're not partnered up romantically by, I think it's age 40 or a certain age, then... I don't think they even specify that. It's if you're single, period. Yeah, if you're single, you basically have to find a partner or you have to be surgically turned into an animal of your choice. (laughs) So it's like this really weird, surreal, like dark comedy about Colin Farrell, unattractive Colin Farrell. So it's like not when he's playing a hot character, he's playing like an unhot character, failing to find a girlfriend in this special hotel whose purpose is where you go when you don't have a partner and you want to avoid being surgically turned into an animal. It's real wild. (laughs) (laughs) Highly recommended. Better than uh, most of the films that have been nominated for things at the Oscars this year. So good. I unfortunately think La La Land is going to win this category. Morgan's actually read the screenplay for La La Land. I, it was a draft from a couple of years ago. Okay. So the sort of final one. I mean, the final one definitely was better, but oh, wow. Fucking that, nightmare. It was real bad. Whereas Manchester by the Sea is incredible because Ken Flanagan writes teenagers that sound like actual teenagers, which is, you know, people deserve a medal for that shit. Yes. He managed it. It was amazing. <laughs> He's a playwright as well. Like, this is his yeah. thing. Um, I mean, I've not seen a couple of the movies in this category, but I would strongly be voting for Manchester by the Sea. Just, I mean, the screenplay for Hell or High Water is is very strong. I don't think I would have nominated it, but it's totally respectable. Um, the Lobster is, has a great screenplay, um, but again, again, I haven't seen 20th Century Woman yet, which I've heard is fantastic. But the screenplay for Manchester by the Sea, which I'm seeing again tonight, um, is just... just mind-blowing. One of the best written films I've ever seen, I think. I would be so happy if it won. Watching Kenneth Lonergan win an Oscar would be 
truly bring me so much spiritual joy, but I don't think it's going to happen, unfortunately. <laughs> so depressing. Uh, and with that, let us go to Emma Stone, who's also going to win an Oscar for La La Land. I like uh, Emma Stone. Emma Stone's but, fine. Like, it's not... <laughs> Like, you, the best actress category, man. Okay, I've not seen Loving yet. I really need to, but Ruth Negga is amazing. Yeah. I saw Elle last week. Isabelle Huppert is, like, incredible. Natalie Portman, incredible. Meryl Streep, never going to watch Florence Foster Jenkins, but she doesn't need another Oscar, so we can right. forget her. But, like, this should be going to Natalie Portman, in my opinion, as someone who's not actually seen Loving yet. Uh, I have only seen um, La La Land and Jackie because Elle is not out here yet and I have not had time to see. I mean, Elle is an incredible performance. Yeah. And I would also, like, I definitely... And also I think, like, probably because she's a French actress, she's unlikely to get nominated again, whereas Natalie Portman will cycle around in another couple of years. Um, Yeah. So I would also go for Uber or Ruth Negga, despite not having seen her movie, just because I love her so much. (laughs) Um... (laughs) Um, it's just, it's, I know we're just bitching, but, um, it's depressing to me because I think Emma Stone is a good actress. I don't think I've ever seen her in anything where she's great, except possibly Easy A, uh, in which she gives a superb comic performance, but the character she's playing is so thin that she just doesn't have that much to do. Yeah, I mean, she doesn't have the material Uh, to work with, and a lot of her role relies on her innate charm. Yeah. But, like, it's not... There's there's basically... It's one of those movies where there was, like, a single Oscar scene, which, like, obviously everyone is like, that's incredible. But when you compare it to to basically, like, every other film on that list, it just seems so lightweight and kind of embarrassing to, like, win for. I don't think it's going to help her career either. There are lots of instances of actresses who win when they're pretty young for stuff kind of like that, and then it doesn't help. Like, you don't want to win when you're that young in general, but especially, like, if if you win for, like, the best performance ever is kind of one thing. But even in that case, like, Adrian Brody, who's obviously a man, so it's sort of different, and he was one of the... Men don't usually win young, and so when he did, it was really unusual. But his performance in The Pianist is, like, one of the best things ever. And But then he just, like, went off the rails, and his career has been a shit show ever since, right? And I don't think that was going to happen to her, but I just don't feel like it's necessarily beneficial, um, especially when you didn't really deserve it. Like, Jennifer Lawrence has obviously been very successful in a certain way since winning, but I also wonder if she would pr- maybe have been challenged more if she hadn't won that Oscar. And also, I feel like La La Land's one of these movies where clearly a ton of people fucking love it. But kind of the idea of looking back on it and being like, Emma Stone's performance was really just so memorably strong. I don't I don't really find that plausible, especially when you compare it to some of the others. And like, I mean, I think Natalie Portman is kind of suffering a bit in terms of sexism from like the way that people perceive Jackie which is something we discussed. We had like a whole podcast dedicated to Jackie, but like the way that people perceive her performance in that is like people think that she's being campy and melodramatic or childish because she has a high voice. There's a lot of weird sort of unrecognized misogyny going on yeah. with that. Yeah, um, So... <laughs> but it is... As always, is. the actress categories are complex. <laughs> yeah, 
Although supporting actress Viola Davis is uh, winning. Yes, I mean, I'm never going to watch Fences, but Viola Davis needs an Oscar. I I mean, she needs like four Oscars. This weekend, probably, (laughs) um, and she is going to win, and I love her, and she already should have won one, and so, you know, Godspeed. Um, This is a really good category, though. Naomi Harris is so amazing in Moonlight, especially seeing as I went into that film, like, basically the only thing I kind of knew about the production aspect was I think Morgan had told me that Naomi Harris filmed her entire role in like a weekend or something. It was like four days where she's got this really intensive role where she ages through an entire lifetime and it's really amazing. And also she's English and I'm kind of used to thinking of her as sort of, you know, she's like a posh English actress and she's got like this amazing accent for it. She's great. (laughs) Yeah. Michelle Williams is amazing in Manchester by the Sea. In another year, she could easily have won for that. And Nicole Kidman is incredible in Lion. She plays a sort of suburban mom par excellence, but there's something really interesting going on with her character. You kind of expect that she's going to be this sort of stereotypical white lady, and while simultaneously being completely immediately recognizable as this sort of typical suburban mom, that's not what's going on at all. She's really interesting. Um, she was, I, I love her in general. I think she's incredible, but watching her, I was just like, I mean, my mother is not like that, but I was just like, I've recognized you. <laughs> like, oh no. Flashing back to my childhood. Um, I haven't seen hidden figures yet, but Octavia, Octavia Spencer is obviously great. Me too. Um, that came out in the middle of the Glasgow Film Festival, so I've not had time yet, but I really yeah. want to see Hidden Figures. <laughs> yeah, I, I look forward to, like, crying. So My mum went with, like, her group. She has a little squad of lady engineers, and she just warned me that she'll, like, she was just like, and we just cried all the way through. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. Um, supporting actor Mahershala, I feel like, is definitely i have never rooted for any actor so much (laughs) as marshall ali this year without even having seen moonlight so i'm just like a huge biased hypocrite but now i've seen moonlight i'm like well my tremendous bias towards marshall ali is realized (laughs) i think the best i think he's incredible i mean lucas hedges is also so fucking good oh yeah i mean he i think he's also like 12 so he has you know it's fine he can come back in a couple of years um I think what I was going to say was I actually think Trevante Rhodes is the best actor in Moonlight. I think he is absolutely astonishingly good. Just like Wait, which own. which age of the character is he? The oldest one. Okay. Yeah, no, he's amazing. I but Mahershala Ali is kind of the veteran in that cast and so I feel like it's appropriate that he's the one who's getting the awards recognition and he's great so it's not like that's fine i'm super ready for him to be a megastar he's so close to the top of my list of people i will watch in like some literally any garbage so (laughs) (laughs) and then actor in a leading role is a genuine anything could happen which i find quite exciting because the other three as is usually the case these days are like they've won 85 precursor awards and so they've all practiced their speech like 75 times. Yeah. <laughs> so and I really, no- I really don't care about any of these, right? Because so the, the, the list is Casey Affleck, Andrew Garfield, Ryan Gosling, Viggo Mortensen and Denzel. And Denzel is the only really famous one. Viggo Mortensen is like not that level. But um, <laughs> Casey Affleck 
his performance blew me away in Manchester by the Sea, and he was like, it was like a really unique performance playing this very kind of specific type of horrific depression. But also, I'm not going to be super happy if the Academy gives an Oscar to someone who's just been totally sexually harassing a bunch of women at work and getting away with it. So, yeah, that's my that's my two cents in this category because I've not seen the other three movies and giving you Ryan saw, Gosling you saw La La an Oscar Land. for La Land. Yeah, but it's like giving Ryan Gosling an Oscar for La La Land is also like nonsense. I mean, you know, he played Ryan Gosling. Well, he's not actually like that. No, life. but I mean, like, his role his role in that film was to take a really obnoxious character and add Ryan Gosling to it to make him charming. I think it would be ridiculous. But I, at this point, think it's probably 55-45 Denzel Casey because I had for the whole time thought Denzel was going to win. And then Casey Affleck won all the precursors, and I was like, oh, I guess I was wrong. And then Denzel won the SAG, and I was like, oh... Hmm. And so now I'm kind of thinking that that's going to happen because except that also if they completely just go batshit for Ryan Gosling, for La La Land, then Ryan Gosling could win. So the percentages do not work out for what I just said, but it's fine. Um, Because Casey Affleck has uh, some baggage that is bad and he's not charming. So the fact that he's even gotten this far is a testament to that performance being amazing. Like, and it's not an Oscar-y performance. It's completely internal. It's so extremely when we saw that, I was like, that's the best thing I'm going to see all year, but there's no fucking way he's ever going to win an Oscar for it because, like, it's just not, there's no Oscar scene, right? Um, and then he started winning everything, and I was like, this is very peculiar. But like, he's going up against Denzel fucking Washington, who, as opposed to, like, you know, like, the competition is quite stiff, but I still think it's pretty close. So just from the perspective of, like, of someone who likes the Oscars, I'm excited about there being competition, because, like, please, just any sort of surprise in this yeah. year of, like, La La Land winning 85,000 awards... I mean, from an ethical perspective, you know. awarding stuff to Casey Affleck is bad, but his performance was very strong. If they just give Vigo a prize, and everyone, and everyone immediately is like, what's Captain Fantastic? <laughs> Captain Fantastic got nominated for a SAG Ensemble Award. Which well done, is like, kids. They were kids. Yeah. And they were good. It's cheaper so. by the dozen for people who really like communism and hippies and living in a van. Yeah. Uh... And uh, La La Land's going to win Best Picture, which uh, you all know. So, those are all the awards. <laughs> Except the charts, which we don't care about. When in doubt, filling out your ballot, La La Land is really the one to check off. Moonlight should be winning Best Picture, and costume design should be going to Ghostbusters. Or Everybody <laughs> Wants Some. Everybody Wants Some should be getting a nomination for costumes just for putting Derek from Teen Wolf in a crop top. They should also be getting a hair and makeup nomination. That's who should have gotten nominated. Yeah, some great 70s hair in that movie. Honestly. Okay, even though we've already talked for forever, we're going to do some questions. Okay, so we've got a bunch of really good questions. We had a couple that basically amounted to how are you going to handle La La Land winning everything? So I think that's kind of been covered. Um, But thanks thanks for asking that. And you're correct that we're annoyed, but we're very happy that other things got nominated as well even if they're being ignored. So um, first of all, Anne Boyles on Twitter asked, do each of you approach the Oscars hoopla differently and how, and also how do you prepare for the Oscars, i.e. do you fanatically try to watch every entry? 
Uh, we both prepare very differently in that Morgan treats the Oscars as her favourite sporting event. I generally don't even like the kind of the mainstream Oscar movies. Like I often I do watch a lot of indie cinema and I go to a lot of film festivals, but I don't tend to go for this sort of things where someone's playing like a tragic scientist with a degenerative disease or something. Like I don't I don't like them. I don't like things like the King's Speech. Um <laughs> Although, so, as, as one of the other questions we will get to shortly pointed out, there's much less of that now yes, than there used to this be. This year is a lot stronger. No, in general. But Morgan, do you intentionally try and watch everything that's been nominated, or do you already have most of them in the bag because that's the kind of film you already watch? Um, I try to see everything in general that's notable. Right. So, certainly... So it's... Also, by the time nominations come out, you kind of know what's going to be nominated. It's This is one of the problems with the Oscars, actually, is that there are now so many precursors that you can pretty much predict what's going to be nominated, except maybe one or two surprises. But barring that, even specifically, like certainly the movies that are going to have nominations. And there's so much buzz from so, so early on that you sort of just start doing it in the fall. But... I obviously see a bunch of other stuff. And for me, basically, I started... Well, I started paying attention to the Oscars when Lord of the Rings was getting nominated for stuff because I was obsessed with that <laughs> in middle school. Um, and then continued paying attention because I really loved movies. And specifically, the sort of narrative essentially is that Return of the King got nominated for 11 awards and it won all of them. And it was like... I got the wrong message because I was like, wow, this is amazing. <laughs> like it always works out the way you want. And then <laughs> Brokeback Mountain got nominated two years later and lost to Crash. And I was crushed. And it was like the, you know, the scales falling off of my eyes. Right. It's like, oh, this is actually really bad. But starting. I mean, thankfully, in that case, history corrected itself because no Crash is famous for being terrible. Oh, and yeah. still remembers Brokeback Mountain. Absolutely. You are correct. Um, well, that's the thing about the Oscars, right? Is that, like, th- the people who love the Oscars the most, I think, are the most aware of how silly they are, because yeah, you if you really love the Oscars, it means you really love movies, and that means that a lot of the stuff you really like is never going to come anywhere close to the Oscars. Um, but from around 2006, I've tried to see everything. Um, and I the reason I love the Oscars is largely because... If you are a teenager, and I think this is even still true in the age of the internet, but especially back when I was like reading Entertainment Weekly in, in print, that's how you find out what's good, right? It's much harder to wrap your mind around everything that's coming out when you're 16 and don't really get it yet. But if someone gives you a list of like, here's the you know 20 movies that you should watch, it's much easier to be like, okay, I'll watch all of them. And then that then allows you to sort of get farther and farther out away from them into other directors who are good or whatever. So I think that they're really useful in that way, just educationally, even if they then make decisions that are kind of dumb or whatever. Um, So I do try to see everything. Again, this year has not been... This is probably the worst I've done since 2007, which is crazy. Like, it's very Because you're too busy being an Oxford student. I know. You're improving your mind and you don't get to watch all the important nominees. Like, like the Hacksaw Ridge. Yeah. Nominated for Best Sound Mixing. Bummer. Um, okay, so we have an, yeah. a next question, um, which is, if it was up to you... This is from Arturo Gutierrez on Twitter. Um, if it was up to you, what Oscar categories would you want to be included in the awards? 
obviously stunts. Yeah, that's stunts. the. It's completely bonkers that stunts are not already in there. Yes, it's <laughs> it's nuts. Casting also. Those are the two yeah. I think that everyone casting says. Casting is a really good one. And also casting is um, it's a technical category that people don't really think about. But as soon as you do think about it, it's a lot easier to understand than sound mixing, which requires more kind of technical right. explanation. Whereas with casting, you can tell when a movie is well cast. Think about what Moonlight would have been without good casting. It wouldn't have worked at all. Like, I mean, think about La La Land, because the original plan for La La Land was to have, um, <laughs> what's his name, Miles, T- Miles Teller was going to be playing the guy. And as I said, when we were discussing the best actor category, that character is really obnoxious. And the reason why it works at all is romance, because you have fucking Ryan Gosling being charming and playing him. If it's Miles Teller, you have a movie about beautiful Emma Stone being seduced by this, like, creepy Miles Teller. Well, it was going to be, <laughs> um... oh, shoot... Emma Watson yes. tried to get the role, and then no, it was the gonna it was gonna be the two of them, and then yeah, which wow, I mean I like her, occurred, but that and she ended up making have... Beauty and the Beast yeah. instead. Um, yeah, there's a question from my brother Merlin, <laughs> who asks predictions for number of winners making token anti-Trump speeches. I would go as high as between forty and fifty percent. Okay, fifty percent's high, but I wouldn't be surprised if it got there. Because I think it's going to be slightly lower than that, but I think that a significant portion of them are going to either directly mention Trump or, you know, oh, I, do something. I mean, there's definitely going to be a lot of generalized When I say that, politically. I don't necessarily mean, like, Trump's yeah. name vocalized, which I don't yeah. think will happen much at all. Comments about our difficult political situation. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm hoping someone pulls a Marlon Brando and brings someone in <laughs> to accept for them. If Ruffalo were, were winning something this year, man, can you even imagine? As self-absorbed as everyone in Hollywood is, I think there is going to be an immense feeling of guilt. I mean, none of their makeup artists are going to have health insurance. <laughs> I think, like, the impression I've gotten is that everyone definitely does feel weird about this. Which I do get, because obviously you're not going to not... I mean, I guess you could not go... But I also, like, if the thing is still happening and you've been working really hard to get your, like, the thing with these movies is that it's not like a big blockbuster where everyone's just going to go see it anyway. Like, the whole reason people campaign this hard for stuff is A, out of egotistical, like, narcissism because they want to win an Oscar, but B, because they really want people to see their tiny movie that they need press for, right? And so to then, like, skip the Oscars at the last minute because it feels weirdly decadent, it's a statement that doesn't have any point, right? Like, it's... Just fucking go to the Oscars. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, on the on the tiny off chance that Andrew Garfield wins, he's definitely gonna say something. Oh yeah. He I won't, mean, Andrew Garfield like wild. rolls up to the women's protest and stuff like that's <laughs> Garfield. Oh my god, this is why they should give it to Vigo because Vigo's speech would be amazing. Like, I mean, I can't even imagine. Woo! It would be incredible. Just like, Vigo's speech would be amazing. Yeah. But like, I mean, Mahershala Ali's speech. I think it was at the SAG Awards, yeah, or was it? Yeah gave this speech that was just like so gorgeous and also he'd clearly written it like two days ago because it was it was time relevant and i was just like you're a genius yeah <laughs> you're a poet and a genius <laughs> um so it'll be interesting to see how many people actually pull that off and how many of them awkwardly tom hiddleston it uh, uh don't, <laughs> don't don't even oh poor tom um, okay so next we question we have we've got some from tumblr as well yes um so uh know all the things has asked 
How much is a movie's Oscar success related to its actual quality and how much is related to campaigning by the studio and the performers, etc.? I think it is really dependent on the individual case. The Oscars obviously are not, despite purporting to be just like the best things in Hollywood, obviously there's ton- it's totally political and there's tons of stuff going on. So for instance, Eddie Redmayne, who is very good in the theory of everything, he won that Oscar because he's incredibly charming and went to yeah. every party and charmed every single person in the Academy and they all loved him. And, so they and also friends. sometimes there's sometimes you'll see situations where there's actors who've been nominated and they like really clearly don't want to win and they're intentionally not campaigning either because they don't like the public eye or because they'd find it embarrassing to win for that role. Right. Or or someone like Monique who won for Precious who didn't do anything because she just was like, I do not give a fuck about this, but she was so good. And she won anyway. Right. So or even like the people who um are who made Moonlight and they've got uh they've been released by A twenty four, which is kind of small indie studio, um, but who definitely are, are sort of good with award stuff. They did room last year also. But but they're a small outfit, um, and they're definitely working really hard on that. But that I've seen a lot of gifts of the teenagers being cute on on red carpets. And stuff. Yeah, but that's a case where that's a really great film, and that's yeah. the reason why it got nominated for stuff. And people are also they nominate stuff because they like it. There is a lot of politics, but I think ultimately it does basically come down to liking things and then again it's the sort of unconscious stuff that's playing into that which isn't to sort of downplay the problems but i think it's often less kind of machiavellian than it might seem to outsiders um what else is here um there was a question i think you had an interesting answer to but it's from lyrical calculator on tumblr and um, they ask I'm wondering if there's a trend of what type of original song usually wins. That is, is the winner usually the most musically well-written or significant or just the prettiest and catchiest? Okay, so the way this works is that... So the music branch is the weirdest one because it's really, really incestuous. The fact that so many scores by young and interesting composers got nominated this year was really unusual. But the way song works is that they sit people down in a room and show them clips of the movies where the song is playing. They play a fan video? They show... (laughs) No, I mean, like, they'll show the part of Zootopia where the song from Zootopia is playing. That's bizarre. And then they show... Out of context. Right. Okay. So, obviously, everyone's seen La La Land. So, like, they know how those songs are used in those movies. But, like, the song, I think, from Brokeback Mountain didn't get nominated, I remember. And it's a re- it's an Emmylou Harris song. It was really, really great. But right. in the film, it plays on a car radio when someone is driving, really briefly. I don't think it's even over the credits, either. Although, also, then, credit songs tend not to do well, because if you're literally just watching the credits and the song is playing, there's no emotional resonance. Yeah, I mean, the ideal position is either something where it's okay out of context, like a Bond film, where you have like a little mini music video, or La La Land. Yeah. So, or then also something like fucking Trolls, Justin Timberlake just like made that happen out of pure force of will. Like, so it is a lot to do with just context in the film, which is weird. So it has much less to do, I think, with actual like quality of craftsmanship although certainly that's not irrelevant either but it's kind of a weird 
There's an interesting question here that was about um, kind of comparing Moonlight to Carol. Um, it's from Childish Zombie Jellyfish. <laughs> Love really good usernames here. Yeah. Who basically is asking, um, do you think Moonlight is this year's Carol in terms of snubs? AKA, why is it that certain movies, not straight and white, seem more like they're simply there to fulfill a diversity clause when they should be strong contenders? To what extent do you believe that the Oscars will snub Moonlight in terms of Manchester by the Sea and La La Land, as has happened at the BAFTAs and Golden Globes? And I think both of us kind of, I think this kind of doesn't really work in the context of Moonlight because it's been nominated in so many categories. Um, but obviously that bias does kind of exist. So so what, what do you think, Morgan? Well, I think, again, obviously, as we've been saying, there is a broad underlying unconscious bias towards straight white films as we have seen in the past, past forever, past several years, there's been all this controversy. And La La Land winning is certainly reflective of that. Although I think, honestly, it's more than anything. It is just the fact that it's a nice movie yeah. that people feel evictus. nice about. I mean, first of all, Moonlight got a lot further. Because basically, Carol stars one very famous actress and one moderately well-known actress and is by an established director, whereas Moonlight is by someone basically no one had heard of, starring a, a lot of actors who people haven't heard of. Um, and it was made on a tiny budget, and it's about topics that are not considered part of the mainstream Hollywood. And it's done a lot better than Carol, like in that context. It's been nominated for, what was it, like eight Oscars? Eight, I think, yeah. Yeah, which is just incredible, right? And it completely deserves all of them. Like, it's an amazing film. Uh, like, my mind was blown. But I think, like, already Moonlight has done so much better than Carol. Moonlight has already won. Like, I'm going to be really sad when it loses because it should win. But what people should not feel sad for Moonlight. The fact that it has gotten to this point is incredible. So many people are going to watch this movie who would not otherwise have watched it because it has gotten nominated for all of these things. Its name is going to be read out so many times on Sunday night. And statistically, it has been proven that the more the film's name gets gets read out at the Oscars, even if it doesn't win a bunch of stuff. Obviously that helps, but just having your name read over and over again makes people say like, oh, Moonlight seems to be like, we should watch that movie. The people are talking about it. So this is a complete success story. This is a huge deal that this has happened. It's really great that it's gotten nominated. Obviously it would be great if it won. But something like this and Carol, like the idea that it's there to fulfill a diversity clause... People voted for Carol because they really fucking liked that movie. No one was voting for that to be like, oh yeah, this is, I gotta check my gay movie off, right? Like, if they were voting for it, it was because they fucking loved it. There's still problems, but it's not like a conspiracy. Yeah. I mean, the problem um, is more that people are like, I loved Mel Gibson's work and I think he deserves a prize. <laughs> like, right. that's a pretty big problem. Yeah. <laughs> but it basically stems from them liking Mel Gibson's work. Yeah. Um, there's one from Space is Pretty Cool asking, um, Lindsay Ellis recently, well, a year ago, did a video about the idea of Oscar bait movies and the change in how movies are made slash enjoyed by regular movie going audiences versus made now only for Oscar contention. Do you agree with this idea? Do you think this is divisive between elite moviegoers who will seek out this new class of Oscar worthy films versus the common sort of movies made uh, movies most people actually enjoy. I like both, so no judgment. I definitely think that uh, there's been a big shift in terms of the Oscar bait thing. Because I only sort of caught the end of the big Oscar bait era as in terms of someone who was like paying attention. The last movie like that that won was The King's Speech. And then like 
<laughs> the imitation game and uh i mean the imitation game is like peak oscar bait yeah but it also didn't win almost it won screenplay i think it, almost, yeah. it won almost nothing and theory of everything similarly one actor and almost nothing else um yeah. i mean i kind of tend to think of there being more like it's not like two individual categories because there's definitely a lot of oscar bait movies which are the definition of an Oscar bait movie where it's something that's sort of palatable but people can like really easily see why the acting's really important and it's probably going to be like a biopic or it's about someone going through some horrible tribulation and then there's also movies that are like more off the beaten track and are really intense or they're covering a topic that's relatively unusual so I guess like Manchester by the Sea and Moonlight I would not describe as Oscar bait movies but they're definitely small indie movies that without the Oscars are going to have a really tiny audience and then there's, like, huge blockbusters. Right. And I think, like, something like La La Land, I don't think when they were making that, they probably were like, oh, yeah, Oscars are going to love this. They were presumably like, I hope the fucking money comes through and that we don't run over budget and that this makes enough money that we make another movie in our careers. Like, that was presumably the thought process behind that. Because I feel like Hacksaw Ridge and Silence and uh, Fences are all movies that probably expected to get like significant Oscar nominations. Yes. Um, but the interesting thing about Silence is that the only reason that's the case is Scorsese. Yeah. Right? That movie is And then it didn't weird. really get nominated. Like. <laughs> right. And that, which it should have because that movie is, I think, incredible. But the actual content is really strange and the Pacing it's a three-hour movie about like monks being tortured right. in Japan. Like I would never describe that as Oscar bait. No. And so I think the people throw that term around a lot, and I think it almost doesn't mean anything anymore because the sort of type of movie that you associate with that is almost dead. Um, which I think is great because I think they're really boring. <laughs> um, but then conversely, the Oscars essentially exist to make things like moonlight make money i mean moonlight had made money before the oscars but it's all kind of a symbiotic ecosystem right and this is why when people get really mad that big blockbusters don't get nominated so much for oscars i'm like that's not the point it's like they don't need it i mean i think it's (laughs) helpful to have one or two movies that have done pretty well so like arrival wasn't the biggest hit of the year, but it definitely made money. And I think it was, I was really relieved it got in and I was mad Gone Girl didn't get nominated that year because that was such an obvious thing they could have done that everyone saw that was a really good film. But broadly speaking, like every once in a while they'd be like, Marvel films should be nominated. Think peace. Like, no, we're both Marvel obsessives, but there is no Marvel movie that deserves a nomination for best picture. Like, like there's individual performances that are amazing and that kind of thing. Like, so I would, I would, I would be very excited to see, you know, certain supporting actors get nominated for certain blockbuster roles. Right. First of all, I'd like there to be more comedy movies in general being made that are good. But like, I mean, there's quite a lot of comedy performances that I think deserve better recognition and just don't get it. But Tom Bennett, Love and Friendship. Oh god! Clearly should have been nominated. Oh fuck. Yeah. I mean, uh, although, I mean, the best act, the best supporting actor category this year is packed with geniuses yes but, however i mean tom bennett in love and friendship was just a lifetime genius for yes. <laughs> <laughs> which brings us to our last question from household saint my oscars question 
have you seen a bigger splash? And if you have, would you say that Ray Fiennes was yet again snubbed? Yes. Yes to both of those questions. I loved that movie. It's also one of the films that I would have nominated in my imaginary costume design ballot. Yes. Um, Tilda Swinton's probably wearing her own clothes in that film, but they're great clothes, so whatever. Um, Ray Fiennes is... He's brilliant. I mean, that was never going to get nominated because I think about 12 people saw it, but it's a really great movie and I recommend it. I watched that a couple months ago and I just thought, this is never going to happen and I will make a small Oscar statuette and mail it to Ray Like He's so funny. Oh, (laughs) the dance scene? Oh, my. I'm so mad that I didn't get to see that in theaters because, like, for some reason, I ended up watching that as a screener, and like, I wish I'd been able to experience that in a cinema full of people laughing at Ray Fiennes. Oh my god, I just. Oh my god. Yeah, it's a bit <laughs> slow that film. I watched it over two sittings, I think, which is unusual. Mm-hmm. But and the ending is weird. However, Tilda, wonderful. Taya Sharnart's very beautiful. Dakota Johnson, I'm not really sure what was up. With her and uh, Ray Fiennes. Superb. So, uh, give it a whirl. I also just remember we did not do the visual effects category. Jungle Book's gonna win. Almost certainly. My last word. <laughs> they made a jungle. Well done. Yeah. It's like all CGI. There was It almost yeah. won some, like, anime... It almost won an animated film award at some point, I think. Because it's literally all CGI except for the kid. Um... That was a very long podcast, as predicted. <laughs> I was like, wow, we're going to talk for a long time. And our most technical, yeah. So yes. Thank you I, for listening, everyone. I have a lot of thoughts about this. So thank you for indulging them. We will be recording a much shorter post-Oscar podcast uh, on Monday. And then the week after that, we'll be discussing Logan, which is very exciting. Because uh, it's getting excellent reviews, and I love the X-Men. So... Getting back to some big, broad entertainment as opposed to the high culture. It's good to have a balance. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you so much for listening. As always, if you enjoyed this episode, we would greatly appreciate it if you left a rating or review on iTunes. That's how we find new listeners. You can find us on Twitter at OverinvestedPod on Tumblr at Overinvested Podcast and our website is overinvestedpodcast.com. Thanks. Bye.